listening to Nathan Out Loud. I'm your host, Nathan Trainer. Thank you for listening to Nathan Out Loud. You can follow this podcast on my website at nathanoutloud.com. Also, you can find me on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash nathanoutloud. Also, please be sure to share your comments and suggestions with me at comments at nathanoutloud.com. Later in the show, we'll feature music by artist Lee Waters, and we'll also follow up on hate crimes legislation, and there's a take action for you this week with the pending legislation in the Senate. As I mentioned in episode one, my motivation for doing this podcast is to create a forum for people to share their stories in order to build bridges with those who might not understand yet where we're coming from. That is why it's so important for us to come out, be out, and live out loud. My guest today is Megan Stabler. After an impressive 25 years in IT, she took her toughest challenge and transitioned openly in the workplace at BMC Software. At BMC, she helped establish understanding, communication, and policies within the company to support global diversity and credits her coworkers and the company DNA culture for GLBT support throughout the company. Megan is a past board member of the National and International Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and she currently serves on the board for the AIDS Foundation Houston the Human Rights Campaign National Business Council, as well as the steering committees for the Human Rights Campaign in both Houston and Austin. Megan also is on President Obama's National LGBT Policy Committee, as well as the Pride Houston Board and Out and Equal Workplace Advocates Conference Committee. As a nationally recognized spokesperson and activist, Megan has appeared globally on television, radio, and in print media, representing a number of industry and board-related issues. Megan has used her no-nonsense approach to advise a number of international governments, including members of the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives. In June 2008, she submitted written testimony to Congress on transgender workplace issues. Megan, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story on Nathan Out Loud. And actually, you were one of the very first people I shared my concept for this podcast with, and you were very supportive. In fact, you said, make it about the stories. Why did you feel it was so important? Well, th- thanks for the invite as well, Nathan. I'm, I'm actually honored that I'm one of the first ones to be on here, and I did listen to your podcast last week or two weeks ago when you last did it. I think it's important to tell the stories because as much as we can lobby and as much as we can fight for our rights, it's not really until somebody truly understands where we came from or where we are and the issues that we face in our daily lives, that they begin to truly understand what an impact it has on our lives and our friendships and our loves when we don't have the rights and we don't have access to healthcare or we don't have access to jobs as freely as many of our straight allies and straight adversaries have in daily lives. So I think stories are so important to be told by everybody in our community. Yeah, it's it's really important and Everybody that I've spoken with about coming out and sharing their story, it it really is a personal thing. And that was the idea behind Nathan Out Loud was to Mm -hmm. create this forum for people to share their stories and really come together as a community and realize that you're not alone in realizing that you're gay, bisexual, transgender, whatever it might be. Um, 
but also have that support in the coming out process. So, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, this is your story. So where does your story start? Wow. What is my story start? How long is a ball of string? Um, <laughs> well, obviously, I think for clarification in that whole terrible world of putting a label on things, um, I would classify myself as a transsexual. Um, so I'm in that bucket umbrella of being transgender. I would also classify myself as being lesbian because I am in a same-sex lesbian relationship with the most beautiful, perfect person that makes me smile half of the time and makes me angry half of the time. But even when she makes me angry, I have to turn away because I'm still smiling. Um, But my story, you know, depending on the timeline, really only began a few years ago when I was finally at a point in my life where the stress and pain inside to me was so big that I really considered ending my life. And the pain that I talk about is is something that I had known essentially since I was five years old. And I think it's very common for a lot of transsexual individuals, whether they're female to male or male to female, to recognize that there's something uniquely different about them or challenging about their identity when they're very young, typically four, five, six, seven. Um, But even at that age, I don't think we truly know what is our problem um, or what we're trying to deal with at that age. So for me, it wasn't actually until I was about 10 or 11. And, you know, I'm from England. You know, when I grew up, there was no Internet. You know, libraries were the big things for researching information. Newspapers were where you got your daily news. And uh, I think, as everybody knows, in England, you only had like three or four TV channels and the programming, you know, sucked canal water at the best of times. Um, But I remember reading a newspaper and it had a big headline on it. It said, sex change tennis player. And it's about a tennis player called Rene Richards who had gone through what they termed back then sex change. And I I hate that word today, Um, but... She had gone through a transformation. It was like a light bulb clicked on. It was like a pulse of electricity in my brain that said, that's me. That, that's, that's what I'm dealing with. That's what's wrong with me. I, you know, I knew that I felt different. I knew that I felt that I wanted to be playing more with the girls than my parents would allow me to be. I wanted to have the birthday parties that they had said no to with my girlfriends instead of the cowboys and Indians birthday party that they were, you know, essentially forcing me to have. But even though I could identify what what it was back then, I couldn't do anything. I mean, you know, back then, this would have then been the early 70s. I certainly didn't know who to talk to. I couldn't talk to my parents. We weren't necessarily in a very religious family, but I certainly was going to church every Sunday. I was a choir boy. I was, you know, Sunday school all the time, all of those things. So I hid it. And I think that's that was very common and sometimes is very common to a lot of transgender individuals is to go ahead and hide their their true selves, their true identity. Um, Dated um, one girl when I was 16. She was two years older than me. Um, You know, I threw myself at my schoolwork. You know, I tried to hide who I was. I went through puberty and the pain of puberty where I was praying every night that three things would happen. Um, And, you know, praying that you would wake up in the morning being a girl, that all of your clothes would have been female clothing and that my parents would still love me. 
and then waking up the next morning in absolute tears that I was who I was, that I was changing into this body that I despised and having to get dressed as him and go to school and suck it up and not allow anybody close to me. In fact, it's only thanks to current technology like Facebook that I've actually connected with a lot of my high school friends because I never stayed in touch with them once I left school. I, I kind of ignored that. And even then when I was at school, I never let anybody truly close to me. Um, you know, even to the point of when gym was going on, I'd be the last one into the locker room to change and I'd be the last one into the showers once we've completed the sports to actually take a shower because I hated my body and I didn't want anybody to think I was weird. I just didn't feel comfortable in the in the boys' locker room, so to speak. Mm. So I married that girl and I married when I was 25 and moved to the United States, um, became a very successful software executive. I was a senior vice president in a $20 billion software company with about 350 people reporting into my organization and a life that some people could be envious of. I was on corporate planes. I was traveling 200 days a year. I was in Australia pretty much every two months. I was in Europe every two to three weeks. My wife was able to do what she wanted, where she wanted, and go when she wanted. You know, I was using money to buy love. Mm -hmm. And I was pained inside. And I was dying inside. So eventually the, the stress got too much, especially after 9-11. I, I lived lived in Long Island after my daughter was born in Columbus, Ohio. And 9-11 happened, and I, I worked on in, in, in the city itself and lost a number of friends in the Twin Towers. Mm. And it's not until you lose somebody in such a dramatic way. I, you know, I've lost friends to AIDS and, and various things along the years, but when you lose somebody so quickly and you realize that they didn't have a chance to, or likely didn't have a chance to tell somebody that they loved them. They didn't have a chance to tell somebody how they truly felt about them or how they truly could have felt inside about themselves, that you realize that you've got to be able to do something. But at that point in time, I didn't think that I could actually do something for me because the risk of transition for me, male to female, was going to be so high. I mean, I went into it knowing I was going to lose my marriage, which wasn't a strong marriage by then. Mm -hmm. um, I pretty much knew I was going to lose my daughter. I feared that I was going to lose my family, certainly because of employment discrimination. I feared that I would lose my job as an executive, if you lose your job, you lose finances, you lose finances, you lose your house. If you don't have finances, you probably can't afford healthcare. So there's a lot of risks to transitioning. So I figured that I couldn't do it. And I sucked it up and said, just, just keep going, work hard, move to Texas, took on a company, turned it around, used a lot of energy and time to focus on that company. And then eventually sold it to a company that I work for today. And then I realized that all of that energy that I had used in basically managing this company to a point of being able to sell it and managing sales and business development and marketing, um, I had free energy. And that's when the thoughts run into your brain and that's when you start thinking about life. And that's when I really realized that I'd now just turned 40 and I wasn't the true person that I needed to be and I wasn't the true person that I should have born at, been born as. And I really felt I needed to do something. So my journey then really began like many transgender individuals, transsexuals, started to self-question, started to find 
answers over the internet, started to research information, found a wonderful therapist in Austin, Texas that I could begin working with, was obviously quickly identified as having gender identity disorder, um, and then reached a pivotal point um, to make a decision. Do you want to continue forward or do you want to go back to being him? And, you know, him is me. I always talk about him in the past tense. I'm him no longer. I have no more clothes of his. I really, you know, have memories of him, but that's about it. And so my transition began, and then the the hardest points in my life began to happen where I had to decide when was the right time to try and discuss it with my now ex, um, realizing that I was likely to go through divorce, um, in doing so, I was doing it in the state of Texas, but worse, I was actually doing it in the most Republican conservative county in Texas, Williamson County, just north of Austin. Mm-hmm. And I remember very clearly having a discussion with my attorney who said, let's just hope we don't have this judge out of the four that are on the the uh, court. This would be the worst one. And unfortunately, I got the worst one. So I think... I've really tackled so many difficult situations, but that judge granted my ex the majority of our finances, um, granted my ex the ability to take my daughter overseas, and in fact, um, originally had granted or was considering to grant that I would only get about two weeks visitation a year, and my ex being the, I was going to say a word there, but the, the individual that she is had really asked for it to be supervised, which I thought was really insane. And that all visitation had to take place in England. Now, you've got to remember, Nathan, that my daughter was born in America. She's an American citizen. Mm -hmm. And here's my ex taking her to live overseas in a country she's never been to. Um, so I ended up paying, and I do pay today, alimony and child support. I also pay uh, about $20,000 in school fees every year because the curriculum and the education is different. And my life sort of continued where I started to go through the natural transition, taking hormones, seeing an endocrinologist, making sure that I could measure my blood work. Mm -hmm. Then I started to inform my family and my mother and my father where my mom would was really concerned about something that she may have done. I informed my sisters, one of whom still to this day no longer speaks to me about this and thinks it's abhorrent for what I've done. Mm. Um, and then really put what I term it as being dominoes in place to be able to transition in the workplace and transition everything in my personal life from male to female. And when I talk about dominoes, it, it's, it's like dominoes with the mentality of a chess player where you've got to think six to seven steps ahead. You know what the end goal is to win, to transition. Um, and along the way, there are multiple plays, right? One of the plays is to make sure that you can transition in the workplace so that you still can maintain your job. So for me, it was to make sure that I had a strong sponsor, my CEO. It was to try and maintain my income as well as the job satisfaction that I had as a strategist inside the company. Um, doing a job that I loved, working with customers and sales reps every day and being the number one presenter in our briefing center and traveling the world. And so when you think that the time is right, you begin to just knock over that first domino. And if the pattern is correct, you should be okay. And uh, for the majority of it, I think it has been okay. You know, unlike so many um, transgender, transsexual individuals, 
who unfortunately faced workplace discrimination, I have not lost my job, touch wood, mm-hmm. um, since I've transitioned. I've, I've maintained it. However, I'm not certainly at the same level as I was before um, inside of the company. I've certainly been demoted a couple of times and earned probably about 43% less than I did prior to transition. Um, mm-hmm. But at least I have a job, and that gives me health care, and that allows me to pay for the house and... and you know, do the things that I want to do, which is fighting for activism and equal rights. But the loss has been heavy, and it's heavy for many of us. But for me, um, you know, when we saw each other a few weeks ago in Scottsdale, in Scottsdale's where I had all my surgeries with Toby Meltzer, um, it was a coming home for me, that trip, because it had been a couple of years since I'd actually been in Scottsdale um, since my surgeries. And I stayed at the same hotel where I had recuperated and recovered and I'd set out with swollen eyes and bandages and bruises and all sorts of other things all over my body. And for me, you know, I was asked a question. I think it was actually you, Nathan, that may have asked that question is, you know, if you had to go through it again, would you? And I think my answer was, I wish I had never been born this way and that I'd actually been born in the gender, the sex, that. I am today, mm-hmm. but certainly to have to go through it again to get to this result, to get to this happiness and this level of satisfaction, this level of authenticity um, is something that if I had to do it again, I certainly would do it again and go through it. So that's a very long winding road to where I am today. Um, and, you know, that doesn't even cover half of it when it comes to standing up for, you know, LGBT rights. I mean, I, I do fight for transgender inclusion, for an inclusive Employment Non-Discrimination Act, to make sure that hate crimes covers gender identity and expression, mm-hmm. that we have access to health care and all the other things that I lobby for and testify on in Congress. So I also do things at the national level. I do things at the local level. I blog and I write and I speak about this in in multiple formats. You know, I spread myself pretty thin when it comes to different boards and organizations. But in a nutshell, the reason I do that is when you have had whites, when you've been that white married male and you had the ability to do what you want, go where you want without anybody questioning it, and then to transition and then have a label thrown at you, and the purity of that label is what will discriminate against you. Mm. You know, being transsexual and knowing that 38 states here in the United States of America can find me because I am transsexual, transgender, because of my gender identity and expression, you know, is just plain wrong. And now realizing that that life that I had and the fact that I was married at one point in time and that I am in the best relationship that I've ever been in, um, and, you know, at some point we really would like to marry, um, not for just the pure religious aspect, which so many on the right throw it is, you know, sanctity of marriage is between a man and a woman and, you know, it's against the religion. I don't care about the religion. What I care about is the equal rights in the eyes of the law, um, and not just rights in the eyes of the law, but also the obligations that same-sex couples would get from that. You know, if you if you realize that that marriage is not right for you, you know, and you have to go through divorce and you have kids, well, the same things will hold true when it comes to child support and alimony and, and all the obligations that come from that from a, a legal and financial perspective. So I'm going to keep on fighting, and uh, I think every day we make forward progress. Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. So that I, is a lot about me, Nathan. No, it's a moving story. I mean, I'm sitting here and I have goosebumps. Um, I appreciate your courage and dedication. Um, I know that when you first started working with the Human Rights Campaign, uh, you're on their business council. Uh, yep. It was a very rocky time with the relationship between the transgender community and the human rights campaign. Why yeah. did you feel yeah. it was so important to, to get on board and, and become part of that dialogue? Well, you know, and I'm probably going to get some scathing words from various people um, for the, for how I describe it today. Um, the reality is, is that, you know, we, we will not get, rights overnight. Just by saying we demand it doesn't mean that those in power are going to go ahead and deliver things for us. Equally with HRC, you know, I'd been a member of HRC for a number of years. Um, and when the issue came down around ENDA, and just for your listeners, you know, let's just re- recap a little bit of history. You know, ENDA, the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, had been around for many, many years, over a decade, in various forms. Um, where there was coverage or looking to get coverage at the federal protection level for sexual orientation. And what we've been trying to do over many years was also add into that gender identity and expression so that you can't be fired for being gay or lesbian and you can't be fired for being transgender, transsexual, you know, the gender identity and expression point of it. And that bill had really um, come to surface, surface in September of 07. And I was in... Washington, D.C., and I was speaking at Out and Equal Workplace Advocates. I was doing a panel on gender identity in the workplace and transition with um, Jameson Green and a couple of others. And Donna Rose, who I think many of your listeners probably know, um, wrote a book called Wrapped in Blue. And that, that book, Wrapped in Blue, was very core to me as I was beginning my transition because Donna's history and story meant very closely to mine. Additionally, she's in technology like I am. Additionally, she lived in the same town as I do with roughly the same-ish age. And my sister, in fact, had read her book and put us in contact um, to the point where Donna, I considered a big sister to me. And she, even on her, on her blog, would write about how she would class me as being her little sister. So we had a good relationship, and she was also on HRC's business council. So we were there in D.C., September of 07, and then things happen on the Hill, and Barney Frank says we don't believe we have enough votes for an inclusive and inclusive, meaning including sexual orientation and gender identity and expression, so we're going to strip it. And unfortunately, um, HRC, the board, um, decided that they wanted to progress the bill forward, and in doing so, the only way to progress the bill forward was to remove gender identity and expression. Now, let's also remember that in 07, we had that man from Texas in power, and he had already gone ahead and said, don't even consider bringing me anything. I'm going to veto anything that comes across my desk. Mm-hmm. Um, so we knew we weren't going to get anywhere. Um, but I wasn't with HRC. Donna was. And you know, we, we talked a lot about what had gone down, and, and ethically she felt that they had sidelined her, and I think that she was correct in resigning. Um, I think that the animosity from the transgender community back to HRC was correct in some places and a little overboard in others um, because the bill was not going to pass anyway. Um, however, if HRC had really thought about it, maybe they should have you know, just stuck with the guns 
and knowing that it wasn't going to pass and just let the bill die. Reality is we now found out in 07, late 07, who was going to be for an inclusive ender, who was going to be for a sexual orientation version only, and who was against it. So legislatively, you can figure out who do you need to focus your money, your time, your efforts from a lobbying perspective on, who's on the fence so you don't have to focus as much energy, and who essentially, in quotes, you already have in the bag that's going to support you. Um, Donna resigned, obviously, from the business council, actually from the board. She was on the board and the business council. And she and I had had a discussion, and she had nominated me to be considered as a member of the business council, um, knowing full well what I was stepping into um, and knowing that what I really wanted to do was make sure that if we were going to fight for an inclusive ender, there was only one thing that HRC would stand for, and that would be for an inclusive ender, not a stripped version. Um, so that's really why I joined HRC. I took a lot of heat from my community, and I think it's, it's sad that when you're trying hard to work for one sole thing and people don't really know who I am. I mean, you and I have had a chance to, to meet and have dinner and have drinks and, you know, hang out and, and, and know each other. Um, it's when there are people in the community that write very scathing, very nasty things about me, um, presuming to know who I am and presuming to know the reason that I do the things that I do as far as LGBT equality, and it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but I stood up, and then obviously the other things that I did in '08 was not just to join HRC's business council, which, you know, I not only had to be interviewed for multiple times, but also to be voted in on, um, but was also invited to participate on uh, now President Obama's um, National LGBT Policy and Steering Committee. And back then, obviously, he was still senator. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really felt good that we were going to get a president, and I felt determined that any conversation that we have as a steering committee for Obama or a business council member or just being in multiple meetings with HRC um, was always around an inclusive ender. And I've never heard anything separated from that. They've certainly heard the um, turmoil that uh, they knowingly or unknowingly caused when, when ENDA came about. Um, they've listened to that. Um, they've addressed it in materials. They've made sure that lobbying efforts include inclusive ENDA. There's no, well, let's just make sure we have a separate ENDA, an inclusive one. There only is one lobbying effort that's all around an inclusive ENDA. Mm-hmm. Knowing Alison Hurwitt, who is the legislative director, you know, she's arranged for me to testify a number of times in Capitol, both in subcommittees as well as to the Congressional LGBT Caucus, which was just a couple of months ago. I think I, I uh, spoke to those folks. Um, and all I ever hear is about inclusive ender. So I think it's unfortunate that it came down. And, you know, I'm very happy because the, the work that I do with HRC is not just focused on, on that. It's also focused on religion and faith. I mean, I've just right. been in other places. So, I'm, you know, I'm truly believe that we're going to get it. Whether I don't think we're going to get it this year, but um, you know, at least hate crimes is moving through. And I, I believe that the heart, the soul, and the focus of HRC is in the right direction for an inclusive bills, right. in plural, that include gender identity and expression now. Yep, and even just being in D.C., uh, you and I were both there in March, and mm-hmm. the energy and the... It's just so different than it was even six, eight months ago. And as a community, I really feel like we are going to be making some pretty significant progress. Um, We just need to make sure that 
I hope so. I mean, I, I, I'm a little, you know, having been a member of Obama's policy committee with, with some other great individuals, you know, I, I'm a little disappointed, to be honest with you, Nathan, that a hundred days into it, we don't have as many signals as we should have out of the administration on LGBT equality. I'm right and there I think with you a, on that. And I think a little known thing for, for, for many people, if, if you had watched whitehouse.gov website mm-hmm. on January 20th when he was inaugurated, you would have seen very quickly once he was inaugurated as president that the civil rights um, part of that website was included to, to or updated to make sure that it included everything that we needed from don't ask, don't tell statements to DOMA to mm-hmm. you know marriage to ENDA to hate crimes. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, what a lot of people have failed to, to comment on is that over the last two weeks, a lot of that messaging has disappeared from that website to be replaced yeah, with some very generic web messaging. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pushing hard and I'm hoping that things will happen once we get hate crimes through, uh, hopefully with Senator Kennedy's health being mm-hmm. good enough to help steer that through the Senate. Um, but at least Obama's already signaled um, that he's ready to sign it when it hits his desk. And then the next thing we need to work on, you know, we all have different priorities, but the next thing I really truly believe we need to work on is going to be ENDA and an inclusive ENDA. And then other things like don't ask, don't tell, and, you know, all the other things that we need. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's why it's most important right now that we do continue to tell our stories and that we do continue to be active and, you know, be truly is about the stories. I know that's, that's how we started off this conversation, but um, I don't tend to hide. I mean, once you come out as a big national spokesperson or an advocate or an activist, depending on the word you want to use, um, you can't go back in the closet. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult when you are transgender, transsexual sometimes. Um, it's different. I think you and I talked about this. You know, you can, you can be gay or you can be lesbian. You don't necessarily have to out yourself every day, but I wear my Harvey milk jacket when I'm flying on an airplane. I don't worry about looking at documents about LGBT civil rights issues when I'm on a plane. I'll pull out my HRC folders and literature. I will go through my next speech on a plane. I'll go through my next educational or informational presentation I'm doing to a company to help put in, you know, gender identity and expression into their workplace. And often, and this is the cool thing, Nathan, often I have somebody sitting next to me who very, you know, very obviously is reading over the shoulder mm-hmm. and looking at what I'm doing and, and probably reading some of the words that are out there. And after a while, I'll spark up a conversation with them and we'll talk about it. And the amazing thing is, and this is why I think stories are so important, people don't realize not just what we have to go through when we out ourselves as being gay or lesbian or, or transsexual, but they don't realize what we don't have. Right. Right. And they think it's a choice. When you're making a choice to do this, no, 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 no. Right. We didn't make a choice to be gay or lesbian, but you know, we don't have a choice. This is who we are. And mm-hmm. we don't have the rights that you think we do. If we want to go marry that person that we've been in a relationship with for a period of time or adopt children or just do what we want to do, we are discriminated against on those 1,138 little laws that don't include us. And that marriage, because it's not recognized as the 
you know, union of a man and a man or a woman and a woman, but from the pure word marriage at the federal level, we don't get those rights. And after you have that conversation with them and explain a little bit of your story, I'm hoping that I get a, an advocate that walks off the uh, the airplane. I, I know from just being in Boston at a sales kickoff with a lot of the executives that, that I was working with, um, I shared the story because he purely asked to know it. And he said, Megan, I, I'm going to be a strong supporter for you. He said, I have my faith and I have my family, but you being you is not going to impact my family, and you being you is not going to impact my faith. Let me know what I can do to help. So again, I encourage any listener to call you or write you and offer themselves up to share their story. But also importantly, don't just share your story on this. Share your story every day. We We can truly change people's minds one conversation at a time. It's so true. Well, thank you, Megan, for sharing your incredible story. And your dedication and your courage is really an example to the community. And you truly do embody coming out and being out and living out loud. Well, thank you, Nathan. Have Have a great weekend now. You too. This week, we are playing a song by Lee Waters titled Virginia. Please listen as Lee speaks about the inspiration behind this song. I wrote Virginia just after hearing Representative Virginia Fox's remarks in Congress about Matthew Shepard. Putting aside, you know, the ignorance of what she said, what really struck me was how soullessly she trashed not just the memory of a murdered young man in front of his mother, but was able to dismiss such an important event in our history, something that was really important to a lot of us as if it were just a robbery gone wrong. Immediately after her remarks in Congress, you know, there were calls on Twitter where I spent a lot of time uh, to denounce her or to to try to get her fired. And I I support that. But, you know, I'm not a politician or a writer. You know, I, I make songs. And I thought the only thing that I could do was to express how it made me feel. And then, you know, I made that song available online for download. And I want to give all the proceeds to the Matthew Shepard Foundation in Virginia Fox's name, not, you know, to honor her or anything like that, but just to take this opportunity, you know, that she said such a horrible thing, it's gotten a lot of attention. Let's turn that hate and that ignorance into some money. I highly encourage everybody just to go, you know, cut out the middleman and and give money directly. But if you also, you know, want to get a song (laughs) and you may not get around making that donation anyway, I'll pull all of these together and make the donation for us. The song can be found at Lee's website, leewaters.com. Have a listen to Lee Waters and Virginia. Oh, Virginia, how do you sleep in your warm bed? Is there someone to keep you in your warm bed? Nights are so cold, the snow is falling How do you sleep? I was 19 19 years old and there was no one No one to hold me through the cold nights The hard nights to help me be free TV. 
to Nathan Out Loud. I'm your host, Nathan Trainer. In episode one, I ask that you take action and contact your representative in Congress regarding the Matthew Shepard Act. As Lee just mentioned, and as many of you have heard, the legislation did pass Congress. Now I'm asking that you take action this week and contact your senators. The Matthew Shepard Act was introduced in the Senate last week, and we are now hoping that they will take action on it quickly. Again, you can go to fighthatenow.org to find out how you can help and what you need to do to get this important legislation passed. So please, take a minute and call both of your senators. Ask them to support the Matthew Shepard Act. Again, that website is fighthatenow.org, and I'll also put a link to that website on my website, nathanoutloud.com. Well, that's it for today. Again, thank you, Patrick, for putting this all together. Also, please be sure to check out NathanOutloud.com for the latest updates on this podcast, as well as information that we've covered in each podcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash NathanOutloud, and I look forward to receiving your comments and suggestions at comments at NathanOutloud.com. 
please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Just search Nathan Out Loud. And in closing, here's another song by Lee Waters. In honor of the recent passing of B. Arthur, this is No More Manhunt Nonsense. And remember, everyone, come out, be out, and live out loud. We'll talk to you again soon on Nathan Out Loud. I'm looking through the person to find myself a man. I am handsome, intelligent, and possess great style. I'm also incontinent, but have learned to laugh about it. Into their web of sex games. I'm looking through the personal to find myself a man. No more of this man on nonsense. No more of this man on nonsense. No more of this man on nonsense. Who the hell are you? I'm the biggest slut. Do I have it on videotape? Would you like to see it? Slut. I'm looking through the personal to find myself a man. No more of this man on nonsense. No more of this man on nonsense. No more of this man on nonsense. Any man you bring to a fevered pitch of uncontrollable ecstasy. Take me! Take, take me now! Take me! Take, take me now! It's my heart. Can't you feel it pounding? My roommate doesn't wear underwear. Slut. I have it on videotape. Would you like to see it? You stop that. You just stop that. No more of this man on nonsense. <laughs>